Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 134 of This Week in FCPA for the week ending December 21, 2018, the Are You on the Naughty or Nice List edition. As Jay and I put on our final holiday push to make sure that we're on the nice list, we consider some of the week's top compliance and ethics stories. But first, a word from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 600 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. Some of the stories Jay and I take a look at this week include the criminal indictment of Goldman Sachs over its role in the 1MDB scandal. Les Moonves, former CEO of CBS, was denied $120 million in severance, and the CCO of CBS takes a very black eye in his attempt to retaliate against a whistleblower. What's the role of the CCO in compliance and life sciences? We take a look at how to attack the demand side of bribery. The FCPA accounting provisions continue to bedevil many companies who run afoul of it. There were two FCPA enforcement actions of the former CEO and CFO of Panasonic Avionics. And finally, the Serious Fraud Office secures a bribery conviction in a Alstom-related matter. I talk about the five-part podcast series I've been running this week with Dr. Kyle Welch on his recently released paper on use and efficacy of whistleblower reporting systems. And please take a look at the latest episode of Popcorn and Compliance, where Jay and I consider the holiday classic Elf. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Mr. Monitors, Jay Rosen. For another episode of This Week in FCPA, this is episode 134 for the week ending December 21, 2018, the Are You on the Naughty or Nice list. Mr. Monitors, do you know which list you're on this year? Mm, I always try to be on the right side. I'm on the nice side. How about you? Uh, Well, let's just say we're putting on a late push. Uh, I, I may have visited a coach store yesterday. Okay. So uh, always uh, good to be on the nice list. And if you're not, coach is available up until uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, but we had uh, just a, a, a fun-filled, packed compliance, ethics, and corruption week. So uh, why don't we start with uh, some of my uh, old friends and some of my new friends all in one place, which is 1MDB. Uh, Just a fairly stunning week, Jay, as Goldman Sachs is indicted criminally for its role. It was indicted in Malaysia. Um, Additionally, uh, Tim Leisner, the Goldman Sachs partner who has pled guilty to FCPA violations around the 1MDB scandal, has been banned for life, as has Roger Nee. Um, from doing uh, securities work in Singapore. 
this uh, criminal indictment, though, you really cannot overemphasize the just a uh, uh, dangerous uh, and, and the position it puts Goldman Sachs in that to be uh, found criminally liable for an investment bank, uh, it could really hurt their ability to underwrite, to you know, do all of the things that an investment banker does. And um, further, if they are criminally convicted in Malaysia, what impact will that have on their FCPA um, ongoing FCPA investigation here in the United States. Will the United States move to criminally indict any uh, Goldman entity, any any other persons at Goldman or uh, Goldman Sachs itself? Uh, what does this mean? The, st- the share price had dropped 20% up until uh, this week. I think it went down another 6 to 10% this week. It can, can only continue to get worse. The... Um, it seems like some of the commentators have suggested an early resolution, but as you and I both know, um, FCPA investigations can take years. Um, and assuming that the prior Malaysian administration did not share documents with the U.S. Department of Justice, meaning that really didn't get going until there was regime change last year in Malaysia, I doubt uh, this investigation has been going on uh, the typical length of a full FCPA investigation. Uh, so Goldman may be in for a very bumpy ride going forward. Yeah, this one sounds like, uh, as we've said before about some of the matters, this is going to be the gifts on giving. Um, we cite to a couple articles from the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, I don't know. If I'm reading this correctly, it says, out of December 11th, prosecutors met with the former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and alternatives for Mr. Lowe, who is criminally charged in the United States. Has uh, Chris Christie been associated with this before, or is this the first time he's reared his head? Uh, no, he has been previously associated with uh, defense uh, counsel for Mr. Lowe. Uh, I want to say earlier this fall, but certainly sometime in 2018, his name surfaced there. And, and Jay, that report brings up a really interesting point uh, because I believe it re- went on to report that uh, Christie and other defense counsel suggested that um, if a plea deal could be reached for Mr. Lowe, he might have more dirt on Goldman Sachs and uh, he would uh, flip on them. So that would be uh, more damage to Goldman Sachs. Uh, the other low, thing, if there is, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing is that it appears that the Federal Reserve, the SEC, and the New York State Department of Financial Services are also moving forward with separate investigations of Goldman. So uh, th- this ain't going away anytime soon. Uh, and something else that's not going away anytime soon, Jay, will be CBS, Les Moonbees. And the entire imbroglio, uh, which is engulfed CBS. You want to tell us about this week's developments? Sure. So um, I think you and Matt Kelly did a wonderful job earlier this week going into compliance in the weeds. And you talked about this incredible situation. Uh, there's an actress named Eliza Dushku, 
who was going to be on a series called Bull, which is on CBS. And she was initially signed to a small arc of episodes, but they hoped to eventually um, expand it into a featured play and that she would have employment for three to four years. Well, it turned out there were some harassing remarks to the uh, star of the show, Michael Weatherly. Um, she approached the producer, and the producer suggested she speak directly with him. And uh, suddenly her role was reduced, and they wanted to bump her down from a featured player to recurring. And she said no. Well, they ended up settling this for uh, $9.5 million, But what's very interesting is there's a guy named Mark Engstrom, who's the CBS chief compliance officer, and uh, he's also in the legal department. So he thought he would be doing CBS a favor by finding some outtakes from the filming where Ms. Dushku was uh, using salty language. Unfortunately, the clips that he pulled actually demonstrated the harassment that she was speaking about and that uh came to light this week and that's uh in conjunction with all the other findings that outside counsel found that mr viz was being evasive and not helping in the investigation and now they have decided that he is being fired for cause and he will not receive his 120 severance so uh it just gets worse and worse from them. And um, in the report, these are a couple things that I put asterisks next to. Uh, in our view, they have, uh, quote, check the box, unquote, quality in wording, managing enforcement, the lawyer said. I also called one particular provision of the company's harassment policies, which explained that employees who complain about discrimination or harassment might experience, quote, negative employment action, unquote, that would not be considered retaliation. Uh, the lawyer's character is tone deaf and highly unusual. So the place is just uh, in shambles there in terms of an ethics and compliance thing. One other thing I caught was um, when they uh, basically cop to what was happening, they only issued um, three to four paragraph, whereas when NBC had their issues with Matt um, – oh, what's Matt's last name from the Today Show? Lauer. Matt Lauer, they uh, re released a whole seven-page uh, mea culpa. So uh, the more and more we learn, uh, the worse and worse it gets. And what will probably happen is that Mr. Moonbez will probably try to go after uh, some of his uh, bonus in arbitration. But that is the bad news um, from CBS. So let me just throw out one other bad piece of news for CBS, Jay. Uh, they have to pay for Mr. Moonves' legal fees, and they have to pay for his legal fees should he choose to go after any of that bonus. Uh, and it's been uh, estimated his legal fees uh, could run as high as 40 to $50 million. So uh, all I can say is Merry Christmas, CBS. All right. Next up, Tom, uh, you've got a great piece that I really enjoyed reading called What – is the role of a CCO in compliance and life sciences. Uh, how'd you find the article and um, what would you like to focus on? So uh, I got a kind of a blurb on it in one of the email um, 
emails I get every day, Jay. And um, it was a really interesting article. Um, it was uh, published in Seton Hall Center for Pharmacy Law and Pol- Pharmaceutical Law and Policy. And although it focused on CCOs and life sciences, it really applied to CCOs anywhere. And it went through um, several different um, roles and questions of the CCO. They talked about the structure of the compliance function. They talked about the uh, specific placement of the CCO in a life sciences where it should be. They talked about independence of the compliance function. They took a look into the veiled land of the future. Uh, But there was one part that I thought was particularly important that I wanted to uh, cite for our uh, listeners. And it's the, um, the core function of a CCO. And once again, the authors limited it to uh, in the life sciences context. But frankly, I, f- I felt like it it um, stated what all CCOs need to do. And it was four, four key roles. One, assist the CEO and the board in stewarding ethical business culture. Two, participate in strategic conversations and vetting new ventures to ensure they adhere to the company's values and the law. Three, developing and improving structures, policies, procedures that detect deter and remedy uh, violations of legal, ethical, and policy standards, and four, aiding the company in avoiding behavior with potential to impact negatively the company's reputation. And I thought that was as fine a a definition or rather an articulation of CCO roles as there was. We've attached uh, or linked to it in the show notes. Uh, I would commend the article to everyone. It's a bit long, 47 pages, but really chock full of how you should think through structure, function, and specific roles of C- of a CCO and a compliance function uh, going forward. Um, I really kind of tried to book in that article with the one I would like you to comment on next, Jay, um, which is uh, came from Tom Firestone and Maria Pianovska, uh, both at uh, Baker McKenzie, on how to attack the demand side of bribery and corruption. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, and this is really uh, something that we've, I think, had come up in the last two or three weeks that a lot of people uh, start to be, you know, are considering this. So uh, basically, um, in terms of looking up at the bribery side, uh, most of the time we attack the supply side, which are uh, the folks who were paying the bribes, the third-party vendors, the salesmen who are trying to get uh, you know, get their position increased, but we don't really look at the dim side. Those are the people who are the um, bribe taker. And uh, Tom and Maria go through and they look at uh, the OECD and other international organizations about um, how that they are working with uh, the difference between the supply side and the demand side. And they said, uh, even if the, uh, uh, the the bribe takers are not prosecuted. There can be uh, four things that can come of them uh, when you know countries uh, start to go after them. And the first one that if the bribe takers are never extradited or prosecuted, a U.S. indictment would make it different for, difficult for them to travel and leave the country. And if they did come to the U.S., they would be easily extradited. Uh, Second, the fact of an indictment could be used to support other penalties such as sanctions under the Global Magnitsky Act, which applies to foreign government 
government officials. Third, U.S. charges would put pressure on foreign governments to bring domestic charges against the, buy, uh, the bribe takers. And number four, it would help honest companies such FCPA as a shield to resist bribe demands. Or to put it in another way, we can't pay because we would be prosecuted under the FCPA. So um, this this really seems to be gaining steam. And um, while the provisions right now are not specifically written to um, uh, to really take on the bribe takers, there are a host of uh, nations out there who have language written in that way. And this is something that I think uh, people might be considering into the new next year. What do you think, Tom? Uh, yeah, uh, it was a great article because it really pointed up there are tools available even if there's not any change in the FCPA or, or some other U.S. law, which with, with which prosecutors can uh, attack the demand side, and um, those way those other methods do have consequences. We've seen that quite a bit here in Houston and in uh, South Florida around the prosecution of former former Petabasa officials. So um, it's it, it you know last week Jay we talk, talked about. Uh, the UN report that uh, noted that $3.6 trillion is lost annually to the worldwide scourge of bribery and corruption. And this article points up what prosecutors can do and really, I think, starts a conversation, uh, certainly with people like you and me, but uh, with the broader compliance community of everyone's role uh, in the fight against bribery and corruption and the government's role in using uh, demand side tools uh, to fight uh, the scourge and how uh, companies can uh, not do business with those people and uh, really try to, to bring some pressure to bear to to reduce this overall uh, global impact of bribery and corruption. Indeed. So uh, next up, we've got something from our friends at the FCPA blog, Bill Steinman and Nan Wang. And uh, this is about how uh, – the FCPA accounting provisions cover more than just bribery. Why don't you tell us about that, Tom? Sure, Jay. So the accounting provisions uh, stand separate and apart from the anti-bribery provisions. You can have a bribery prosecution based upon violation of the accounting provisions, but it doesn't have to be that way. If it's a uh, U.S. public company or one with American depository shares traded on U.S. exchanges, which brings it under the jurisdiction of the Securities and Exchange Commission, a company which engages in creative accounting or fraudulent accounting or accounting fraud um, can be subject to an FCPA violation. We call it an FCPA violation uh, because that's where the uh, Congress and its infinite wisdom put these accounting requirements. So uh, it's a good reminder, and, and uh, Bill and Nan's article point to a uh, company called Agria, who used old-fashioned accounting fraud to conceal losses, boost revenues, and inflate the company's share price. They got caught at it, and the SEC spanked them, and they spanked them with the FCPA accounting provisions. I think um, uh, it's also going to have a lot of implications. Uh, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, Jay, we talked about uh, your namesake, Jay Clayton, who announced that the SEC was going to go after target Chinese companies who um, uh, came into the U.S. market, securities market, via reverse mergers. This is exactly something that could uh, turn around and uh, negatively impact them if they do not follow generally accepted accounting principles uh, when calculating value and making their reporting. So a good reminder 
uh, from Bill and Nan uh, about the breadth of the accounting provisions. You don't have to have a bribe to violate the accounting provisions. Uh, and you, you don't even have to have an uh, international uh, aspect. It can be domestic U.S. Uh, in continuing our FCPA world theme, though, Jay, we did have, I think, two uh, pretty high profile, if not significant, SEC FCPA enforcement actions against individuals who were formerly associated with Panasonic Avionics. You want to tell us about that? Uh, thanks, Tom. We've got a story now from the Wall Street Journal about two former executives of Panasonic settling with the SEC over charges of accounting uh, violations. And it's uh, Paul A. Margis, the former chief executive of Panasonic Avionics, and Takeshi Tyrone Uenaga, its former finance chief, reached deals with the SEC. Lawyers for both men did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Panasonic Avionics this past April ag- agreed to pay $137.4 million to the Department of Justice as part of a deferred prosecution agreement, and they also got a monitor. Uh, Mr. Margis, the SEC, said used a third party to pay more than $1.76 million to consultants, including government officials who are offered a position to assist the company in obtaining and retaining business. Panasonic's avionics falsely recorded the payments, and Mr. Marges circumvented company's procedures to engage consultants who provided few, if any, services. Um, He also made misleading statements to the Panasonic avionics auditor. Mr. Uenaga, the Panasonic avionics CFO, caused the parent company, Panasonic Corp., to improperly record $82 million in revenue based on a backdated contract and false representations. Mr. Marges paid a $75,000 penalty, and Mr. Uenaga was ordered to pay $50,000. Mr. Uenaga was also barred from participating in the financial auditing reporting of public companies. He can reapply for a restatement in five years. So uh, I guess that brings to a close the uh, individual culpability on the Panasonic matter. Uh, Anything to add to that one, Tom? Well, uh, Jay, I'm not sure it does. Uh, uh, There possibly could still be criminal penalties uh, as both individuals were actively involved in the bribery scheme uh, from the Department of Justice. It's really unknown at this point, but certainly significant sanctions from the um, um, Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, I saw where, um, well, I can't remember who, whose article indicated they had uh, reached out. Um, I think it must have been Sam's in the Wall Street Journal uh, reached out to see about uh, the company that had hired uh, Margus uh, on the, for their board of directors uh, in light of uh, this SEC uh, resolution. And they uh, had not commented on whether he uh, would be staying with the company or not. Yeah, maybe maybe not such a good selection. So maybe uh, not. You know, maybe maybe they could have uh, done a deep dive due diligence into their executive search, and they would have uncovered that he was uh, prominently named in an FCPA DPA action. Well, it is Christmas, Tom, so you can wish for those things. But uh, yeah, uh, right now, to find out. Yeah, uh, your colleague uh, Jacqueline Jager over at Compliance Week. Uh, put together her top five list of ethics and compliance failures in 2018. And why don't you uh, recap some of these fine individuals we've spoken about over the last year? 
Yeah, a really great article from Jacqueline. Uh, really, uh, towards the end of the year, you obviously get these sort of recaps. Uh, I've been thinking about it. I've uh, written and done a couple of podcasts on them that we'll be post- posting shortly. Uh, but Jacqueline had a really good list. Uh, the um, hit list included Facebook, and we should say, uh, you know, get another release of um, information uh, on Facebook, uh, how they um, – perhaps released information or allowed access to accounts in a manner they had not previously disclosed. Uh, Tesla, Elon Musk's funding secured tweet is, uh, will certainly go go down uh, right up there with some of Donald Trump, Trump's top 10 tweets. Uh, 420. It's 420 (laughs) somewhere, Elon. Sorry. Go Fevy. We'll, uh, uh, when you have your, um, Chairman of the board and CEO uh, arrested and thrown in jail, uh, along with a company director. That you know, that's a that's a fairly s- strong statement. And uh, that statement, unfortunately, was made by Nissan, who had Carlos Goshen and former uh, representative director Greg Kelly um, vi- uh, arrested in Japan. They are still in jail in Japan. Uh, it has put the car maker in turmoil. It has put their partner Renault in turmoil. Uh, so that one is really in the er- early stages of playing out. Wells Fargo continues to be on the hit parade where unethical conduct and fraudulent behavior continues to plague the company, uh, bringing into question its sincerity of its uh, ad campaign are reestablished. Um, it uh, uh, had more um, settlements this year with regulators for nefarious actions. Uh, Donske Bank, um, when you have a, uh, 200 billion in money laundering, you know, that that's real that's a real number, Jay. Uh 200 billion still means something even in today's economy. So, um this uh came to light with with a whistleblower. Uh lots of information apparently was well known within the bank. The bank stayed in the uh, Estonian market to launder this money to uh, bump up its profits. Um uh, really just uh we're also kind of at the starting point. Uh, in this scandal, although it did break in September. So check out the article. I think it's uh, it's really a good article and gives you lots of things to uh, talk about to your senior management. Um, Jay, our friends and across the pond. Jacqueline, secure- uh, you have I something? was just going to say, Jacqueline, yeah, Jacqueline buttons, buttons it up very nicely. And she says, as with Compliance Week's list of the top ethics and compliance failures of past years, the most significant cases repeatedly share one common element senior leaders who do not value or embody ethical behavior, which ultimately and unfortunately trickles down through the entire workforce. So, uh, okay. So uh, my turn now. Well, yeah. uh, But let me just uh, introduce it that um, the serious fraud office had a pretty big win on a uh, bribery case against an individual. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a good win. I I think it might be more of a a mixed bag, but the uh, SFO has concluded a near-decade bribe against French transport company Alstom subsidiaries, and former executives has ended with six acquittals and five convictions. A jury of Blackfriars Crown Court found Nicholas Reynolds, a former global salesman in power in Derby, guilty of one count of conspiracy to corrupt contrary to Section 1 of Criminal Law Act 1977. The verdict came in a retrial after a jury at Southwark Crown Court against Reynolds 
Hills in November of 2017. He's due to set Blackfriars Crown Court on the 21st of December. And uh, basically, they uh, convicted both Reynolds and uh, John Vexkus and Goran Wickstrom, who between the years of 2002 and 2010, they bribed senior Lithuanian officials to win Eastern a European Bank of Reconstruction and Development contracts to upgrade and refit a Lithuanian power plant. Um, let's see what else is worth noting in here. In a statement on the 19th of December, the SFO's director, Lisa Azovsky, said that these convictions were a result of a truly global investigation, and she thanks the case team for their efforts and persistence in bringing individuals and companies involved to justice. Uh, one of the convicted uh, people, Lene, had said in an emailed statement, due to to its wish to achieve a corporate conviction against Alstom, the SFO misunderstood and misrepresented his role with the company and consequently put him through four difficult years of having to prove his innocence. His lawyer, Christopher David at Wilmer Hale, said the Alstom trials have produced a mixed set of results for the SFO. He added, whilst some trials have resulted in convictions, the acquittal of a number of senior executives calls into question the SFO's approach to prosecuting corporate crime. The SFO investigation spanned more than 30 countries, including France, Canada, Hungary, Denmark, Austria, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Liechtenstein, Cyprus, Singapore, the Seychelles, India, Sweden, Lithuania, Switzerland, and Tunisia. So it sounds like they certainly had a global effort to bring these charges. They've been investigating for a while. What's your take on them, Tom? Um, as you said, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, the SFO really sorely needed any good news. So if you consider a mixed bag as partly good news, then um, it's it's really what the SFO needed. They've, they've just stubbed their toe and tripped all over themselves this year in, uh, unfortunately, a series of trials, uh, the most recent uh, against the um, – grocery chain Tesco for accounting fraud. So, you know, at least they got one uh, one conviction here at the end of the year. And as you said, it's three of six. So kudos for somebody who goes to trial and kudos to the SFO for at least getting some conviction. So what's on the podcast front this week? So Jay, uh, I had a really interesting series this week with Dr. Kyle Welch, the uh, co-author of a recent paper on the use and efficacy of whistleblower uh, reporting systems. In this, he demonstrated the uh, just dramatic and material cash shaving, savings, shavings, savings to companies that have robust whistleblower reporting systems. That's not just having a whistleblower line. It's having someone to answer it, someone to triage it, someone to uh, uh, investigate any uh, anything that might come in and having somebody to remediate it. So um, was uh, uh, a really great academic paper. I interviewed Dr. Welch on uh, five podcasts, which I've released over this week. And um, we just kind of went through the paper in a deep dive. Uh, I, of course, link to the paper in each podcast. So take a look at this. If you haven't heard about it, it is well worth your time as a uh, compliance practitioner and something that uh, – Dr. Welch is going to be working on going forward. We've got him sort of hooked into looking at compliance issues from a uh, uh, business efficiency and productivity and profitability issue. Um, and then uh, we're going to release our second uh, new 
uh, podcast and popcorn and compliance uh, for everyone. Uh, we're going to put it out tomorrow morning. Uh, we consider the uh, holiday favorite Elf, and there are compliance lessons learned that you could draw from it. I think you'll be surprised that uh, there were really several. So for the holiday listening of our fans out there, I hope you'll check out uh, Popcorn and Compliance. Uh, anything you wanted to add, Jay? No. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I'd just like to uh, wish everyone a happy holiday season. Uh, I can't believe another year has gone by, but uh, every week uh, when we look into what's happening in the world of uh, ethics and compliance, it's just uh, amazing stuff that's ha- happening out there. And uh, we appreciate you listening in with us each week, and we wish you all uh, good things in the year to come in 2019. So on behalf of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, we'd like to thank you for joining us for episode 134, which is for the week ending December 21st, 2018, the Are You on the Naughty or Nice list. Thanks so much for listening and take care. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week at FCPA. As this will be our last episode before Christmas, let me take this opportunity to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday Season. And always remember to be safe out there. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Jay's available at affiliated, excuse me, Jay Rosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. Please join us again next week where we will take a look at the week's top ethics and compliance stories. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.